Hey, Jay. Hey, Tyler. Okay, we got a guest coming up in just a little bit, but first, um, before we get to the guests... Well, as I'm sitting here with my PSL... When did we get to the point that we stopped saying pumpkin spice latte and we just started saying PSL? I when don't was, know. When was that? Because like, well, it really just switched. Like, all of a sudden, we all just, like, everybody understood. I think I'm, I mentioned on previous episodes that Starbucks, when they change their terminology, they will force you to change it. Like, they will just repeat back what you really meant to mm-hmm, say because mm-hmm. they know better. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so like when, when they say, started calling give me a large and they're like, a, a venti. venti. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, no, I want a trinta. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. Can I get a bathtub of yeah, caffeine? You, I always just say, give me the largest one you have. Yeah. And I found out recently that they do have the Trinta, but it's only for the cold drinks. Correct. Yeah. That's garbage. Yeah. I coffee, yeah. I want to be able to feel feel the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's. We our guest is 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 here, yeah. uh, and we don't want to <laughs> keep her waiting any no, longer. So. No. Um, Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> Hi guys! <laughs> it's Rebecca Depoe. Rebecca's a first time first time guest. I am. What's your enneagram number? Like you both, I am also a nine. Hey, the coolest. I was gonna say it's this was number. almost almost the topic of discussion for today. What uh, what's your Myers Briggs? I am an INFJ. Oh, almost, almost, so close. <laughs> you just got judgy there at the end. <laughs> well, so I have found. As a pastor, right, like, it is very helpful to be an F in pastoral situations. It is very helpful to be a T in moderating session meeting situations. So I can, I find that I can flip back and forth between the two a lot. So the older I get, the more I'm also starting to identify as an INTJ. Um, so that was the hesitancy. So uh, I do want to follow up with my favorite question of that is, and make it a twofer. One, you clearly understand what the Myers-Briggs is on a way that... We do not, uh, <laughs> which is we don't understand it at all, other than we know what our numbers are. Uh, and two, what does INFJ mean to you? What is how? What does that mean? Yeah, it, so, really, those numbers are pointless unless you understand. Right. So, I think a lot of people think that introverts are shy and are socially awkward, and I am neither of those things. Um, as an introvert, I am somebody who gains, who loses energy when I'm in social settings. Um, so I have to be really careful how I steward my energy in social interactions. Otherwise, what can happen is is I get to a point which I call low uh, battery mode, uh, which so you know how your phone, when it gets to like under 20%, it's like you should really plug me in. Well, that can also happen to humans. And what what that looks like for me is I can no longer form complete sentences, um, (laughs) which is not helpful if like you have to do something that involves sentences. So I try to monitor energy levels throughout the day. What has been most helpful to me about Myers-Briggs is it kind of shows you what sandbox that you're hanging out in. Um, So like I, the number that I most really, or the the part of Myers-Briggs that I most relate to is being intuitive versus sensing. I'm like 90% intuitive and 10% sensing. And what that means to me is I'm just like a very curious person. Like I love to Mm -hmm. learn. I love to explore possibilities. I love to think about... Uh, different possibilities in the future. Um, so yeah, so that's the one that I strongest identify with. Um, so they are, it's it's yeah. introvert, intuitive. Feeling. Feeling. Yeah. And then judge, judging. Judgmental. 
yeah. So the judging and perceptive one is more about how you approach time. So I, when it comes to time, I don't like to have a lot of options. And people who are more perceptive like to have a lot of options. So like, for yeah. example. It's like it's like gut versus head, right? Yeah. So Tyler, yeah. when you tell me we're recording this podcast at two o'clock, to, that, to me, that means between 10.50 and, or 1.50 and like 2.05. Whereas a perceptive person would be like, oh, that could mean anywhere from like 2 to 2.17-ish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so It's about attention more than actual yeah. reality. Correct. Yeah. So. I find Enneagram to be more helpful than Myers-Briggs, but more people are familiar with Myers-Briggs than Enneagram. What's a, what's a concert that you wish you could travel back in time to see happen live? Ooh, so I thought about this, and I think that I want to travel back uh, to watch Springsteen and Clarence Clemens do their Born, uh, Born to Run tour. Um, oh, yeah. Cause there's this really beautiful song on Born to Run, it's called Jungle Land, and there's I don't know, like a four minute saxophone solo in the middle of it, um, which is just beautiful. And I would have really enjoyed seeing that live. When they, so I have seen Springsteen live in person, but I saw him when he was almost 60 and right before Clarence Clemens died. And I think it would have been yeah. really, it, it was wonderful, but I think it would have been even better to see them in the seventies. What's your preferred listening medium? To, to say Springsteen like what what how you listen to Springsteen okay can I be really weird and kind of vulnerable right now on this podcast no. absolutely yes no, yeah. okay so a couple months ago I got new hearing aids and the new hearing aids I can play music from my iPhone directly in the hearing Ooh. aid so they become like a earbud but an earbud that's like in your ear and is fixing yeah. all of the problems with your hearing. So it's mm. like better than an ear AirPod. So my preferred way to listen to music is to play it on my iPhone through the hearing aids um, because everything just sounds great. <laughs> Can other people tell? Like, is it, it's a pretty surreptitious way to be listening to stuff. Yeah. When I got the new hearing aids, I was constantly asking people like, do you hear that? Like, is this a normal sound that, like, normal people hear? So, like, when I was at the gym, I could hear, like, barbells dropping on the other side of the gym. Or, like, I could hear people, like, breathing really heavily. And I and it took me a couple months to be like, oh, this is normal, normal stuff that people have learned how to tune out. Yeah. So. It is really funny how quickly you learn to tune stuff out. Yeah. Like yeah. I think, uh, a, a, for lack of a better word, a 2020 <laughs> ear um, can probably hear a whole lot more than what we hear we just tune it it's like if you live next like the air conditioning or the sound of your fridge right. or if you live next to a train like you just start to not notice it after all the best part of it is i can watch tiktok videos on my phone and hear them and no one knows that i'm actually in the middle of a tiktok hole mm. <laughs> yeah that'd be that'd be dang. i i so continuing uh this is the time where tyler talks about whether or not tiktok is on his phone again yeah how we doing, uh, how we doing with that yeah i put it back on last night and and then all of a sudden two hours later i had time traveled again <laughs> through tiktok uh i love that app and i hate that app and it's wonderful and again as i've said with the thing i love about the tiktok algorithm is that it shows you your true self yes in that it really uh and and i feel good about who i am based on the videos that TikTok thinks that I want to see because I don't see any scandalous stuff. And I, when people yeah. are like, TikTok is so trashy. It's like, no, it's not. It's just cats and people dancing. <laughs> like, I don't know what. Mine is cats, people dancing, and people making pasta. 
like oh, those are nice. kind of the three things that rotate through mine. I get a couple like super weird ones too, like the weird kind of Tim and Eric type comedy that's just like funny because it's not funny kind of stuff. Right. Like I have a lot of those, um, and then a couple like history, like did you know this about history kind of things, but nothing. Uh, when I first got on it, there was a lot more people dancing in their underwear than there is now once, once TikTok figured out what I wanted to see. Well, I think everybody is uh, trying to get back into their pre-COVID bodies, so maybe there's less underwear dancing. Yeah, that could, that could, be, that could be true. Well, I'm Jay. And I'm Tyler. I'm Rebecca. And this is Rosemary the Master. Master. Jay's favorite question, which is, what is your pedigree? My what? Like, tell us. Yeah, is <laughs> that, that my favorite question? <laughs> I don't know. I just asked that question one time, and you got really grossed up by that word. Uh, tell us, like, so you are a pastor of how many churches? <laughs> oh, um, so I have two churches. Um, Mount Nebo Presbyterian Church, which is uh, kind of the western part of the city of Pittsburgh, and Glenshaw Valley mm-hmm. Presbyterian Church, which is in the northern part of the city. Um, I am kind of unique in that Pittsburghers are kind of known for not uh, traveling anywhere. Like, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is very neighborhood-based, and, like, you go to the Giant Eagle in your zip code. You would never go to the Giant yep. Eagle two stories over. Um mm-hmm. So as we have giant eagles, like giant eagle is a grocery store, and they oh, are sorry. as prevalent as Starbucks are in That's other parts. That's very true. Of the world. No, they're as prevalent yeah. as Dollar Trees are, or uh, Dollar yeah. Generals are. There's a giant eagle yeah. like every yeah, yeah, two yeah, yeah. miles. Um, yeah. And I'm a native Pittsburgher, so this call has been really, uh, really challenging my perception of place and time. So we're kind of coming out of COVID, hopefully, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, particularly ministers during this time, pastors during this time, uh, all of us have experienced burnout in different ways, but pastors in particular. And there, uh, so one of the things that we want to talk about in terms of how this affects ministry and how this affects life is kind of this very real sense of, of burnout uh, and how a lot of us are hiding it. Uh, and then it's getting to the point that many people are not anymore. And as I asked Rebecca, I, we always, whenever we have a guest, we try to ask the guest, like, what would you like to talk about? She had three different things, uh, Enneagram, MCU, and pastor burnout. And so we kind of leaned into the pastor burnout. So why did you want to, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. Why is this a topic that you feel like we need to talk about? Today? I forgot to mention earlier, but I'm currently serving as the senior vice moderator of our presbytery, which um, basically means I go to a lot of meetings. People keep telling me my reward is going to be in heaven. Yeah, that's, so, that's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I mean, that's not garbage, but that's a that's a garbage right, thing yeah. to tell to somebody who's busy. Right. Yeah. To anyone who doesn't know, Presbytery is like the all of the churches right. four times a year. All of the churches in the area, so like a hundred some churches, get together and have this giant meeting. Right. 
which is run by but filled with a lot of people who think they know everything yeah. and so you have to be in charge of all of these uh, really yes and you also forgot to mention that most people in the room are 30 to 40 eh, 20 to 30 years older than me so that's yeah. great yeah. um and it's a bunch of people who don't want to be there and then a bunch of people who really want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and they want you to know yeah. how much they want to be there. Yeah. So in my work as senior vice moderator, I'm starting to see some kind of common trends emerge in all of the gatherings we're having. And those common trends are I'm hearing about beloved colleagues of mine who are mentors, who are people of strong faith, who are wa- walking out of ministry in really mm. terrible ways, terrible for them mm. and terrible for the future health of their church ways, not like there's nothing inappropriate happening. Um, yeah. And that got me really curious to think about, is this happening across the board? Why is this happening? And what can we do as we're transitioning post-pandemic to kind of care for pastors who have been through real trauma over these last 16 months. Um, So, yeah, so that's kind of when I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to two other pastors. I kind of want to hear where we're kind of all at with that. I I, want to ask a question to start of the group, really, because I, you know, when we had the debate about whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not, the first thing you have to do is define sandwich. Uh, What do we mean when we're saying burnout? Like, I, I appreciate, like, some people say burnout when they mean they're having a bad day, uh, but but I think there mm-hmm. is a very real burnout phenomenon. Like what for you guys both? What does burnout mean to you? Yeah, like there's a difference between saying I am burnt out and then like kind of crashing. Right. right. So I think for me, and I'll give you an example. So all of us as pastors have bad days where we get like an out of the blue angry email <clears throat> over like the color of the dress that we wore. It's just a quite apply to you too. Get those quite a lot. <laughs> or like the length of your beard or like Tyler that you one shaved I've and you yeah. didn't tell people and how dare you. Um, yeah. And so when we're not burnout, we're able to respond to that email with like grace and forgiveness and like, oh, this person is having a rough day. But when we're burnt out and we get those emails, we leave the church. It's like the final straw. Hmm. Th- that kind of makes us feel as pastors that our people don't love us. They're not on board with what we're trying to do. And what's the point? So I think a bad day is limited to 24 to 48 hours. I think burnout is months. Yeah. I think when I was thinking about it, you know, like going with a car analogy, right? Like there's a difference between the gas tank is empty Mm-hmm. But that's an easy problem to fix, right? If the right. gas tank is empty, fill it up with gas and you're fine. That's one thing. When the engine won't start is another. And like right. you can put as much gas in that car as you want. But if something's busted in there, that it's just not going to turn on no matter what you do. So I think there comes a level where like even the email analogy, like I've sent, I've had some bad reactions to bad emails, right? Like and had to go sit in a quiet place with Jack Daniels. But I think it's when you can no longer find any good response to any, right. you know, any bad situation. Like the engine just doesn't want to start. Right. Like I don't have um, the capacity to keep it up anymore. Uh, right. And the other part of burnout is there are signs 
there are early signs that burnout is happening. And when you're in the early stages of burnout, something like a vacation or um, rethinking some of your responsibilities or, I don't know, a painting class, those will help get you from burnout to whatever the next phase is. But once you get to the point where, like, life is meaningless, the church is awful, nothing I do makes a difference or matters, that's when it gets real difficult. And that's when people start behaving badly. That's when people start having affairs. That's when people start stealing. I'm not saying anyone is currently doing this, but generally those behaviors... Somebody is, not in this Somebody is. (laughs) But generally those behaviors... Generally, those behaviors are a sign that something else is bigger is wrong. Uh, and it's not just about the bad behavior that's presenting itself. At the heart, being a pastor is being an arbiter of hope. Um, and if you can no longer find hope in the ministry, then not only are you burnt out, but it's actually pretty toxic for you to be leading a congregation. And I know many pastors who are still in the pulpit who do not see hope in the world, but see kind of a duty-bound obligation to keep going. Um, and the, I've seen that and what that does to a church. And there are many Christians who no longer see hope within the church, but see an obligation to keep the institution going. And I think it's a terrible it's a terrible reason to do anything, right. uh, that if you no longer have hope in a situation, and especially... I think the call is to to find joy, but even more than that, to to find hope and to let people know that there is hope. And if you can no longer see that, um, then you are burnt. You are not just like your tank is not empty. You just like it, it's it's not only bad for you; it's bad for uh, you. Cannot do the call. It's like a doctor who is sick, like a, a, a doctor who like no longer has the hands to operate. Like it's you can't can't do it. And I think, again, there's a distinction to be made about length of time, right? Like, So even in mm-hmm. that, like being able to step up into a pulpit every week, or two pulpits as the case may be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there are yeah. Da- there are Sundays that level, like, yeah. I am not there. Like, I, I, There are definitely mm-hmm. Sundays that I am preaching things I hope I believe eventually. Um, mm-hmm. But those are usually one-offs, maybe two. Right. Um, burnout is when, you know, week after week after week, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I don't know Right. I'm going to get up there and, and, and share any of this right now. And I think what has been so challenging about the pandemic is that all of us were living under such stress, not just in terms of our own personal stress of like, am I going to get this? What happens if I get it? If you're a parent, how do I keep my kids safe, spouse, all of that? Um but for me, at least, it was this real stress of I serve very vulnerable populations and how like, am I going to be able to live with myself if somebody gets it in a church setting? Um, then throw in the whole like I am not an Instagram influencer. And for like six to eight months of the pandemic, I was like shooting videos and posting them online because we couldn't gather together. And that was a skill set I had to learn very quickly. And, you know. Many people were upset, not only because the videos were poor quality, but because they couldn't be in their sanctuary. So, and as nines, right, like dealing with that level of conflict for 16, 17 months was just brutal. And I'm not surprised that people are leaving ministry as a result of it, Um, but it's also heartbreaking at the same time. 
So, I mean, we, we, we said kind of in getting ready for this that, like, we don't want to just make this a pastoral complaining fest. Oh, absolutely not. And and, and uh, so far, so good. But I can't help but notice yeah. all three of us are gainfully employed. So, clearly, at this point, we have all avoided, at least to some degree of success, burnout. Like, And I, I'll go last because I think I've had it the easiest in this pandemic, um, I, I almost to the point of feeling guilty about it. But, like, how have you... How have you kept going? How have you how have you weathered this particular storm that's almost over? Yeah. So two things. So I live alone and I'm an introvert. And at the beginning of the pandemic, it was the greatest thing ever. It was like, oh my goodness, like what you I get to stay home for two weeks. This is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Remember that when the pandemic right? was only two weeks yeah, long? That was great. <laughs> right. And, it's like extra vacation. Right. And yeah. then it got to be Easter in 2020. And Easter in the church is the most important time, period. And um, I was stressed and nothing was working well. And I kept telling my people like, oh, just hang in there. We're going to be back in the church soon. Um, and a real turning point in the pandemic for me is I fractured my foot um, I was doing box jumps on living room furniture, which you should not do. I want to preface okay. that. I, w- right, I won't. Don't right. worry and then I <laughs> yeah. fell off of the living room furniture, fractured my foot, and um, actually had to move back in with my mom for six weeks while my foot was healing because I, it was my right foot and I couldn't drive. And my mom was like, don't be ridiculous. Like, you're not living alone during a pandemic when you can't drive. Um, and my mom is a nurse, so she's an essential worker, and she has been working this whole time. And it was so helpful for me to be with, be living with somebody who had to get up and go to work every day and who was not reading the scary internet articles and reading the statistics and was basically just doing what they had to do for the sake of their patients. Um, and that really helped me when my churches were like, we want to be back in the building as soon as possible with or without you. They didn't say that, but that was implied. Um, it gave me a different framework for thinking about doing church. So I, around that time, I read a really helpful article that was talking about people who are not leaving their houses are people that are prioritizing safety and people who may not be taking the COVID protocols super seriously are prioritizing community. One of the things that this whole situation has highlighted, um, is that being a pastor is kind of like being a veterinarian um, in the sense that I uh, think of a doctor, how hard that is. And then think of being a veterinarian that has to know not only how like a cat works and a dog works, but also a guinea pig and a, maybe a snake and maybe a horse like that, that the, the, um, the level of things that you need to be prepared for um probably far exceed your initial expectation of what this is and suddenly having to be a video producer um is something that, like we all of us in this call really had to come to terms with the depth of what is expected of us on an unspoken level um to keep the ship going in the right direction uh, over this past year. And uh, we get little tastes of that here and there, but we really had to take a big bite of it um, this past year. And I, I think that my hope is that churches have realized um, or, or will realize the level of expectation that they have on the pastor to keep things going. 
Um, particularly, the other thing that's interesting about this conversation is that at least from the pandemic, fr from the time of the pandemic, all three of us are solo pastors at smaller churches that have limited staff, if any, um, beyond us. So, um, and, and I think that that definitely, um, it, sh it, it speaks to a very specific um, experience within this, but it also uh, shows that um, we have had to shoulder a lot more of the burden than perhaps some larger churches that we haven't had folks to share the load with us as much. That's true, but we've also not had associate pastors who disagree with the decisions yeah. we in the session have yep. made and have had to leave for the health and safety of their families, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, and and it also means that we've had to lean on our volunteers. Correct. Um, a lot more than maybe a multi-staff church has. Um, so from that standpoint, I think I would echo your praise of, of your sessions. I've had a fantastic session that, and, and Again, to the session are the volunteers, uh, volunteer lay people, uh, non, uh, I mean, they are ordained, but uh, they're ordained to be session. So they're, they're, they're the leadership of the church. Um, and so my session has been wonderful. And we have some, some real experts within our congregation, both in terms of knowledge of infectious disease and how it's spread and knowledge of buildings and how the, the, uh, architectural design and engineering of a building and of a particular space can be uh, more or less um, uh, safe in terms of uh, spread of infectious disease. And so we were able to get like real hard data to present to folks to say, here's why we're not meeting and here is what needs to happen to make it safe before we can. Um, so the, and I've never had uh, like real serious um, heated conversations with anyone on the session or even within the church about why we weren't meeting or uh, we all kind of lamented that we couldn't be together, but we all understood why our specific space uh, availed opportunities to be, meet safely or didn't avail those opportunities to meet safely. So um, I would not, it would be a very different situation had there been a whole lot of pushback again, kind of really struggling with confrontation or, 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 um, not wanting there to be unresolved uh, confrontation um, within the congregation. There hasn't been a whole lot. Uh, now, coming back from it and everyone kind of uh, uh, quietly anticipating that we're just going to get back to normal, I've been really trying to, to, to prime people to know that we will never get back to normal, not the normal that we knew before. We, like, think of this as a like having a kid or like post 9-11, I keep comparing it to. Not that it was that catastrophic, but that the collective trauma that we have gone through means that everything has changed going forward. And on a level that eventually we will get back to a new normal, but it won't be what it was. And we don't know what it is yet. And so we just need to, to know that going into it. Um, and then the other big thing for me has been family. It kind of, there's always a conflict in terms of leading a church. There's always more to do in the church. There's never a point where people are like, you've done enough, go home. Like the, there's always more to do. And that is always fighting against time with family. And um, even when people really try, even when people in the church really try to, to not have you have to make those decisions, you always have to. And so having a year of not having to choose uh, whether I get to spend Sunday morning with my kids like that, uh, having Sunday mornings to be a day of rest was really amazing. And now that we're back to in-person stuff, it, it's not that anymore, which is fine. I mean, that's the nature of the call, but... Um, that 
real the kind of undivided time with family was um was pretty great yeah it's i mean i said so jay oh go ahead oh i was just gonna ask why have you had an easy time of it well it's i the whole way through the pandemic i was getting shots of adrenaline um ministry wise so like you brought up video uh and the move to video like that was the third area of my job description at Westminster. So I started the pandemic at Westminster um, and actually ended or told my senior pastor and other associate that I was leaving to come here to laboratory the day the pandemic started. Like it was not great timing, um, but that worked out really well. Cause it, again, video was like a third of what I was doing. I was youth pastor, contemporary worship and media stuff. Um, and knowing that I was leaving gave me enough freedom to jettison the other things and focus on media in a way that I couldn't before. So like the thing that everybody was struggling with at first of like, how do I post this? How do I edit this? How do I like, it was almost like rip the shirt Superman time for me. Right. Like everybody was like, Oh, thank God we have Jay. Right. Like uh, we've got this guy that can do these videos that can keep us afloat. And and that was great. Like it, it didn't take long to adjust to that reality for me. Um, and then I think right as I was getting burnt out at Westminster from doing that, because it does create its own stress, right? That's a whole lot of time in a computer staring at a screen. Um, right as I was starting to feel kind of like, oh, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up, was when things cleared up enough that I could come here and do the candidacy sermon and and fully move over to laboratory. Um, and so I did that. And then I had honeymoon pastor time, right? Like when you come to a first new call, you can, you, you, it's almost like you can walk on water. Like you can't do anything wrong for a time. <laughs> it, 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 I don't know how long it lasts. Um, but I had that and, and the energy that comes with coming to a new place and a new mission field and trying to sort out like the kind of exciting opportunities that exist here. Uh, so like truly like right in the middle of the year of pandemic time, I got this big boost of, okay, now you can go do this kind of stuff. Um, and I had to shut down again. Like we, we opened in the summer pretty much just long enough to get me here and then come around Advent time when the numbers went absolutely berserk. Um, we had to shut down again. Um, and that again, then I bring in the video stuff and things like that. So like, I, I, I don't think I ever had the fully sustained season of life sapping energy crushing pandemic time, right? Like I was always moving to something else. Um, so when it comes specifically, when it comes to burnout, I feel like I had it easy. Like I never got to a point where I was like, I don't know about this. Um, you know, like I'm with you guys. Our session was great. There was some pushback. There were some hard conversations, but in the end we all recognized we were there to do. Um, so it wasn't like, I'm not saying it was all easy the whole way through, but I definitely had bursts of energy that kind of kept me, kept me afloat through the whole thing. Um, one of the things that that really was helpful for me is that I do like, I like creating things. I like to produce something that is tangible because so much of this job is kind of nebulous. Like we do a thing and then it's gone. And especially like preaching sermons, like you, you preach one and you're like, that was great. And then you immediately have to start another one. And to have a physical artifact, even though it's digital, but to have something to, to produce these online services has, has been a lot of work. Uh, it's still a lot of work, but I, it's something that is really rewarding. Like at the end to kind of look back and say, look, at, look at all the stuff we've done. And now to have a whole year of them mm-hmm. and to look back and, and see what they are. And we've never done a live stream. We've always done a kind of produced thing, which takes a little more energy. But it also in, in looking back at it, it feels like somewhat more evergreen rather than just being 
an account. It's not like uh, to me, a live stream seems like the minutes of a session meeting. Like it's just that happened. And here's the, here's the record that it happened, but you're not going to go back and rewatch them as much. But whereas like an actual service that, that is designed to be online um, is something that you can revisit a little more. That's part of the reason why I love doing the podcast. Part of the reason why um, I try to find things that in my life that feel like I'm making a thing that I can see the beginning, middle and end of. Uh, whereas so much of the relation, I mean, be, ministry is relational. And as you said, Rebecca, we're planting seeds that we're never really going to see the, the height of the tree that they grow into or whether they even grow into trees. And so, uh, it it does help to have little things within the ministry to give you a, a sense of I did this thing, um, as you said, even with with your CrossFit to have stuff within your day to be like today I accomplished this, and over time you can see how that accomplishment bears out uh, stuff. But the to have the little goals is actually really helpful, and to me. Uh, not having to think when is this thing going to be done? Just thinking like, well, this week we're going to do the best online service that we can do. And here's some stuff that we can do. And we have opportunities to do this because of the pandemic. We wouldn't, we certainly wouldn't be doing an online service to this level if it weren't for the pandemic right now. And I think I've, I've tried to lean into the optimistic side of like, we have an opportunity to do stuff in the church that we always have been complaining about. Like, oh, if only we didn't have to deal with this then we'd have the energy to do that. And now we didn't have to deal with this. And so did we really want to do that other stuff or was it just a good thing to complain about? And the answer is kind of yes to both of those things, that there's a lot of things that we could have done this past year that we just didn't do because I'm not sure if we ever really wanted to do them. We just, they were easy to talk about. And then there's a bunch of stuff that we did this year that we never would have been able to do had we still had to do the Strawberry Festival and Vacation Bible School and all that other stuff that kind of just sucks the energy out of a church uh, for good or bad. And um, I think that that has been a, a big part of what's keeping me going is, uh, or get, getting me legitimately excited and, and hope is that a lot of the uh, distracting things that the church has done out of obligation, we haven't had to do for a year. And my hope is that as we get back into this stuff. We don't start just picking those things up uh, mindlessly. Some of those things are fantastic and we should keep doing them, but there's a lot of things that we now haven't done for a year. So we've broken the habit of those things. And so as a, as a leader in the church, as someone trying to guide these institutions, it's on us now to say, oh, we don't have to do those anymore. And these, th these new practices that we picked up, some of them are fantastic that we should keep doing. They shouldn't just be pandemic behavior. It should be like going forward behavior. And then some of these things, obviously we can, we can get rid of. And, and that was just for a season. So knowing that, uh, I feel like the church needs to change and has needed to change. And we've been forced into the situation where now our option is change. And so, um, we've, we've, we've reset the deck and I think that's good. It's exhausting, but it means that we have the opportunity to do those things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. Uh, which again is exhausting, but it's at least hopeful. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so I've been watching, I'm a big fan of the show comedians and cars getting coffee uh, with, with Seinfeld <laughs> and, and part of it, like it's funny, but I think part of what I like about it. And he says it a lot. Seinfeld says like the only people I like to talk about, uh, talk to are comedians. Like I have this specialized profession and the only people I really want to talk to are the people that are in this profession and get it. 
um, and get how hard the work is and how like the little unique things about it. I have absolutely found in the pandemic and it doesn't, I've also found it doesn't apply to everybody, but talking to pastors are, are my favorite people. Uh, and those are the best conversations for me because we understand, right? Like you, you could say session meeting and instead of having to explain it, we all go, ah, yeah, right. Like I know how hard that was, or we can talk about, you know, what zoom church looks like and understand the kind of background into all that. So that's both been helpful uh, to, you know, keep up conversations with pastor folks that are going through the very same things that I am, but also leads to a question like coming out of this, are there pieces of the job that you wish our congregants knew more about? Uh, you know, like are, are there unseen, cause I think part of it is we got exposed a little bit in terms of how much of what we do is behind the scenes. Um, and a lot of that all had to start coming out into the open, right? Like now you're doing video editing. Now you're doing this. Now you're doing that. And are there bit, I don't know, would it, I don't know how to quite get to the question, but like, would it be helpful to like, it's amazing to me talking to congregants about how much time I spend in sermon prep. Like, oh, you don't just make that up when you get up there? Like, like, it, hmm. are there pieces of the job that if they understood better what we're doing would make them understand us better? Yeah, so I think for my congregations, the biggest uh, revelation they've had over this pandemic is I legitimately have two separate churches. I think before the pandemic, they thought that like I only worked when I was with them. <laughs> and I've had to have very like upfront conversations with them and say like, so this week, for example, um, one of my, both of my churches are polling locations, but Mount Nebo, it was the first time they were a polling location. So I am the, I had to be at the church at eight yesterday because the voting people were supposed to come and pick up the voting equipment. They didn't show up. Today, they're calling me at 730 in the morning. Where are you? We're coming here to pick up the stuff. And I was like, you told me eight. So I have an elder that's going to be there at eight. They missed each other. Um, so I'm probably still going to have to be at the church at like quarter to eight tomorrow so they can finally pick up the stupid voting equipment. But I've had to have conversations with Glenshaw Valley and say, Mount Nebo's need for me to be there at 8 a.m. to pick up the voting equipment does not trump your desire for me to be at a craft show later that week. So like some weeks you are going to get my best undivided time. But that can't be every week because I have mm -hmm. two churches. And mm -hmm. I think both churches heard that they were going to save $40,000 by calling a shared pastor. And they did not hear, oh, maybe the pastor can't have office hours at your church on Thursday morning because she's doing a funeral service at the other church. Yeah. Um, and especially – so I have one church um, that is very elderly and I do four to five funerals a year. And – it was getting to the point where like I was doing a funeral with them once a month and the other church was like, you can't just be saying you're not available because you're doing a funeral at the other church. And I'm like, I absolutely can and will because yeah. funerals <laughs> yeah. trump everything. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but just, I don't think, I don't think it was until the pandemic hit and we had to do some things together because I was not doing four zoom services a week that they realized that like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> 
these are two churches. <laughs> um, and, you know, the pastor is not just like sitting at home and watching Marvel movies when she's not physically mm-hmm. in our space. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's been pushback with that. Like, I think people here shared pastoral ministry like, oh, you're the cheap option, but you're still going to do all the things a full-time pastor yeah. does. Um, and, yeah, that's just not. So, for example, I've had you, – you both know that Saturdays are, like, big days in the life of the church. Stuff is happening on Saturdays. And I mm-hmm. actually had to have written into my contract that you get one of my – you – each church gets one Saturday a month. Mm. Because otherwise, I'm working every Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that was hard for both of them. They were like, what do you mean you can't do a memorial service? I'm like, because I've already done one. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a craft show or whatever at the other church. Anyway, it's just been challenging, but helpful for them to see like, oh, hey, yeah, there's more happening here than just what we physically see. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, that's. I wish I had a time turner. <laughs> I, I think, you know, part of it is, and this is something I try and teach, but it's it's true of everybody, especially pastors, that everything you say yes to indicates something you have to say no to somewhere else. Um, yep. Whether, whether or not you actively feel like you're doing it, you are saying no to something right. else. Like if I am saying yes yeah. to the, this weekend was a great example. And like there are times I'm okay with it. Like this weekend, uh, Friday is usually my day off, but the little youth group had a sleepover on Friday night. So I was like, I will come by for a quick hour or so to say hi. Uh, and then peace mm-hmm. out. Um, that was something I was happy to say yes to, but that meant saying no to my day off, my time with my family, my rest, like my mm-hmm. unbroken mm-hmm. work thing. Like, and I don't think people totally understand that on the pastoral level because the church is involved in so much that they assume we are saying yes to everything that the church is doing. Right. If there mm-hmm. is a potluck, mm-hmm. why aren't you there? Like, why have you been there? Um, so I think just getting, our heads around that, like everything we say yes to is a no somewhere else and how sad it is. You know, Tyler brought up family and how vital they are in, in, in all of this. My family bears the brunt of the no. Um, it's yeah. very rarely yeah. me that I'm saying no to. It's usually my wife and my kids. Um, yeah. And that's, that's tough. And even if you're, even if it's like after they have gone to bed and you're like giving up rest or something like that, then the quality of the time that you do have for them is, is diminished yeah. because you're right. not as mentally present. Yeah. yeah. That was very much, I mean, and that was my point of like being able to be with family during the pandemic w- without having to say no to something that was going on. Like the fact that there was nothing happening at the church meant that I could be fully present guilt-free yeah. in the sense of like, I'm saying yes to my family uh, in ways that I have not been able to uh, for 12 years since I started this call like that. Yeah. Well, and so one thing I learned during this pandemic is just how important our families are to Mm -hmm. not getting to that place of burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also realized like how much of a burden my mother and sister carry because their daughter and sister is a pastor. Like we can't ever open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, mm-hmm. there have been times that I've been called away from family Christmas present opening because somebody was in a horrific car accident and I got to get to AGH as quickly, Allegheny General mm-hmm. Hospital, um, <laughs> as, as fast as possible. Um, but the pandemic has really showed me that like your family is like who's there for you when everything has fallen apart. So yeah. like if you're always saying no to your family, that's going to be bad down the road. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think part of that too, well, you I know, think- for us, you know, that's that's the piece of this that I would love to instill more on on congregants is, you know, be careful what you're asking us to say no to. The other side of it is for us as pastors, right? Like there I think the pandemic taught me that there is a degree of severity difference between the person in the car crash that I should get to AGH for right away and the person who's just feeling a little bit sad today. Like, <laughs> you know, like I will drop everything for the car crash cuz that's an emergency and that, that I need to get there but I don't need to leave family dinner to take that phone call. You know, like they'll be there tomorrow. I can call them tomorrow. Like, so trying to, at least in my mind, differentiate between what is urgent versus what is emergency has been a piece of the pandemic. Right. Cause again, when you work from mm-hmm. home, everything can be, you, you know, you could, ne- you could live in a, a reality where you never stop. Like we're just constantly going. Um, and I think putting up harder barriers to say, no, I'm done now, uh, and, and I'll get to your email tomorrow, and and you'll probably still be okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, and somebody in the in the call the other day with all the pastors, somebody was talking about how how much pastoral ministry changed with the advent of the cell phone, and that the cell phone was was great in that we could be anywhere and still be able to contact people, and it was terrible in that we could be anywhere <laughs> right. and still be contactable. And people lost the sense of when we were in the office and how quickly we would respond to something. And and then we lost that sense too. And the same for being able to work from home. We lost the sense, uh, it's great because we can work from anywhere. And it's great because we can work from our house uh, even when we're not uh, physically in the space of the church. But it's terrible in that we've lost the awareness from the job we've lost that, that sense of a place where we can be at rest. And so it really further instills that we p- create boundaries uh, for ourselves because no one else is gonna do that. And so a huge part of the burnout um, is not knowing when to say no for your own sake. And, and that's been, to me, one of the biggest, um, uh, I would say in this during the, the call the other day uh that in a very real sense i haven't really taken proper time off since the beginning of the of the yep. pandemic uh, i went on a vacation but even on that vacation I, I still produced full worship services and recorded sermons like in the middle of yosemite and things like that and and just didn't take any which with no wi-fi like it was just it was way more work than it was worth <laughs> then i look back at those and i think those those are great worship services and like people were like it's so great to see like where you are now and like i was record like i recorded stuff in the middle of death valley and just like it was really neat to to get out especially when we were in the height of the pandemic where where we couldn't leave our spaces and and we took this very safe vacation because we were in these national parks where nobody was uh and we just lucked out that we were able to do that but um but still knowing that that I look back at that and think, I'm glad I didn't, I, I said yes to still doing my work during that time. But no, that was really hard. And it was really, it was not the best choice for my family to have to do that. And it also means that I'm more exhausted because I'm staying up very late to produce these things after everybody goes to bed. And, uh, and so it, it has, I will find days where I'm like, this is my day off. And then around four o'clock is like, oh, I'll just answer a couple of emails. And then I realize eight hours later, yep that it's one o'clock in the morning and I just did a full day's work on my day off 
even though I took most of the day kind of do do my and and so many days have been that and so when people say well isn't Thursday your day off it's like I, I mean it's kind of no like I don't really know when my day off is anymore it's just whenever I manage to have not done the work like uh so even in that sense the the blurring of just like with having the cell phone available being able to work from home is great but it means it's even harder for us to be very specific about when we are working and when we need rest not just like well i can't work because i'm taking time off like we actually need rest we need to be present with the people that we uh that are in our lives we need to be human beings uh and not just and there's always going to be more like we'll we'll there's never a point where you've done all the church work and people don't need you anymore like there's always going to be more so we need to find a place where it's like this is not going to fall apart in 24 hours uh and for me to spend the day watching marvel movies or doing crossfit or going to kennywood or going just on a walk like doing something that has nothing to do with ministry and is just purely about recharging myself um without feeling bad about it uh we need to make space for that because otherwise we cannot fully give ourselves to the tasks that we do need to do yeah yeah it's i mean i think i said to one of my members the other day like some of us as pastors like lived as if some of us as churches lived as if we stopped doing our programs that people would leave the donations would fall and the building would fall yep. apart and yeah. and and if there's a blessing in this pandemic and i actually think there are quite a few but if there's a blessing in this pandemic it's the resounding that's not true If you stopped everything and didn't, I mean, different churches will tell different stories, but neither of the two churches I've served saw a dramatic decrease in offering. Like a little, but not gross, like not life altering. Uh, Neither of us saw a drastic drop in attendance. However you want to measure that in pandemic time, we were still able to connect with the people that we wanted to connect with. Like the only thing that went away was was the programming. So like if you are living as if not doing VBS this year will mean you will never have kids in your church again. No, like that's just not true. Uh, And we have now evidence and a body of evidence to prove it. So what does that mean for us going forward? Maybe pay a little less attention to programming, maybe pay a little less attention to, you know, if I, the pastor don't do it, it's going to be a disaster. Maybe that's not true. Uh, You know, like I I think there's some evidence in there that's, that's worth looking at. Yeah. Your church may be a bit of an exception in that. I think most churches have found that their offerings are down at least a bit and that their attendance is, is certainly down a, a percentage. Uh, but I I would say, and this sounds cynical, but I don't mean it so, that the end of Christendom is a real mm-hmm. thing. And Christendom meaning that Christianity is the status quo and we just kind of, it, we're the dominant culture. And so it's just, everyone is just a Christian and just is desperately looking for churches that, that there are church shoppers out there. We just need a big sign and, and open doors and then they'll just flood into our, into our sanctuaries. And that was the way that the church had operated for the last 80 years. And the death of that has been coming for the last 30 years. And it, and I feel like the pandemic really shot it forward by like five years. Like that, that it's like, um, uh, like a storm, like when the leaves are falling off your trees uh, in the fall and then a storm comes and just knocks them all down at once. Like those leaves are going to fall regardless, but the fact that they all fell at once feels overwhelming. And now I've got all this raking to do. And there's a lot of people who were in the habit of going to church who weren't really invested in, in the church, but, um, but now have broken that habit. And so we get a lot of nominal Christians who 
may not come back. And not to say that good riddance by any means, but I, I, it is worth recognizing that most of our churches were not as big as we thought they were. Right. Most of the people who were really committed to this community and really wanted to do something um, were not as all in um, as we as we wanted to think that they were. And that's it doesn't mean that, again, it's not good riddance to those people, but it is to say the people who are still here are here on purpose. And as we start to rediscover what the church is, we can do it without having to be so desperate about trying to cling on to these people who aren't really invested in what's happening and to start to end the programs that we think keep them here. Um, and that maybe we can recapture, uh, we, can, we can redefine what the purpose of the church is and reorient what the purpose of the church is. And then we can maybe be something that is more, more deeply connected to where people are now instead of where people were 30 years ago, which is what the church has still kind of kept a model of, of the 1980s and 1970s and even 1940s, 50s of uh, you just have a big sign in a big building and you open up the doors and people come in because that, that's definitely not the way it works anymore. And hopefully I think this, the storm of the pandemic has knocked down all those leaves and we can realize that we can rebuild it better and, and different. It's something that is more connected to where we as, as a culture and we as people are right now. Amen. We did it. <laughs> uh, Twitter question for this week. Uh, I, on the assumption that, I don't know, I don't have the demographic breakdown, uh, but I would assume that most of our listeners are not, in fact, vocational pastors. That is true. What's the inverse of this question for them would be, what do you wish you knew about the work we do that you don't? Uh, for as much as I was asking, like, what do, you, what do we wish we would tell people about? Uh, what what is it about our work that you wish you knew that you didn't? Because uh, I think this is interesting. I'll be curious to see what the response on this is. Like the the episode we did a little while back about how the sausage is made, like how sermons are written, mm-hmm. was the one mm-hmm. that most people like had questions for me about. Like what? Wait, yeah, how, people were into that. One. Yeah, uh, and I think it's partly because we just peeled back the curtain a little bit. Um, yeah. So so how else can we peel back the curtain? What else would you like to know about this ridiculously ludicrous profession uh, known as pastor? And what, what ways have you experienced burnout this past mm-hmm. year in your own lives, vocationally and, and in your life? And uh, what are some things that maybe surprised you yeah. that, uh, that the, the pandemic instigated? Yeah, because we pastors are certainly not the only ones uh, who have gone through tremendous change in the last year. Ooh. So be curious to hear how other professions are handling it. Boy, particularly if you're a first responder of any kind listening to this, I want to hear from you. <laughs> how has your life changed? <laughs> and how did you survive? Be this a first thing? responder to this question. Yeah, yeah, hop in. <laughs> Rebecca, is there anything that you would like to plug, shamelessly promote in this moment as we hand you our platform? I mean, if you haven't watched the Marvel movies, you need to get on this yesterday. It is <laughs> yeah. worth three months of your time to watch them all. Right. In order. And yeah. The other thing I want to say is don't get discouraged. The first couple movies are not that great. Once you get to Guardians of the Galaxy, though, it's they just keep getting better. Yeah. They really figured it out by that. This point. is so fascinating. They really did. This is so fascinating to me because as a nerd, I never stopped watching the MCU movies. Like, I watch at least once yeah. a week something. Uh, so, 
Oh yeah, no. it's always it's always on in the background somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I support that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, having also just gone through this, they're all better than you remember. Yep. Ex- except for the Hulk, which is not yeah. good. No. Uh, <laughs> that would be that would be the only one that's a that's a I mean I would also like to argue that Iron Man is not great. Iron Man two is good because Black Widow is in it, but yeah. Iron Man one and three are not my favorite. See that's a hot take yeah. for me because Iron Man two is the <laughs> two hour version of the end credit scene of Iron Man one. Like oh the Avengers are coming hooray like that yeah. It's Iron Man two sets up so many dominoes that you that's a, it's essential. That it, when you see those dominoes knocked down, it's not nearly as fun if you didn't see how they got right. Yes. And, oh. uh, and, and Black Widow is a great example because Black Widow in that movie is not she's not the Black Widow that we know in the other movies, no. but we That's need true. to have her have her set up. Also, hot take: Chris Pratt is the worst Chris in the MC universe. There, I said it. Yeah, that's a lukewarm take. I was going to say, how many other well, Chris's are there? It's, I'm thinking of the one big. All the better ones. I'm thinking of the one comparable, and he's obviously better than Chris Pratt. Yeah, well, Chris, Chris well, Hemsworth. Hemsworth and and uh, Evans. I thought, it, yeah, oh yeah, that is Chris Hemsworth. Yep, still yeah. checks out. And if Chris, if Chris Pine were in the MCU, I think that uh, that uh, Chris Pratt would still be the fourth. Yeah, it would be. Put as many Chris's in as you yeah, want. He's a, he's a fine. He's a fine Chris, yeah. but he's he's definitely. But he's not like MCU level awesome no. Chris's. He is so. good because he stands out as someone who doesn't really make sense. Yeah. He is playing a, a muscular version of Andy Dwyer. In yeah. I mean, he's just—he's playing the type. He is—he will always be the guy from Parks and Rec. And whenever he tries to not play the guy from Parks and Rec, it's super weird, and that's it doesn't true. work. And that's why none of his movies have worked when he's not playing a, a variation on Andy Dwyer. Even in Jurassic World, he's basically confident Andy Dwyer, uh, ripped confident Andy Dwyer, and that's why that kind of works. But like the other movies that he's done, yeah. they, they just don't really work. He's not really believable as someone other than just a bro, who's kind of a doofus, uh, which is great. I mean, go for it, man. Yeah. Uh, I do want to plug. I want to plug something very specific. This is only for people who have Spotify because it's exclusive to Spotify, but it is wonderful. There is a podcast called 60 Songs that explain the 90s, and it is my favorite thing that is happening in the world right now. Uh, That may be hyperbole, but it is wonderful. And it is, even if you did not... Even if you are not uh, currently in your late 30s and or 40s and have experienced the 90s in the first run, it still, I think, is well done enough that it, it, it start, it's basically an essay about a song and then a guest uh, comes on to break down that song. And it is a wide variety of all. And they're all songs that you are familiar with having lived in America <laughs> at any point in the last 40 years so let's say, or last or 20 years <laughs> not 40 because that predates this but that uh it's just great jay that was any, lovely. anything uh to plug this week anything that you are excited about or things going on have you have you finished ted lasso yet no i haven't even started, started that <laughs> i haven't started that because i'm doing other homework for our for our podcast that's I, true i that's have true. started midnight mass oh yeah uh, and i'm only one episode deep but it's it's compelling. Yes. I, guess what? I'm also only one episode deep. So we are, nice. we okay. are on the same. We had said we were going to record that this week, and uh, we both did one episode out of seven. <laughs> so way to go. <laughs> Highly recommend, based on one episode, we will hopefully get that done and do an episode of that. Yeah. Also, haven't watched Squid Games, which I hear people talking about all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I yeah, like Thank mines. you for being on this. This is great. This is great. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you again next time. I'm Tyler. I'm Jay. And this has been Rubbing the Pastor. See you, everybody. Bye.